0: Episode 97 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 28th of August, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. And again, we're recording slightly ahead of time, so if anything big happens in the next few days, we won't talk about it. Uh, You'll know why we haven't talked about it. A little bit of personal news up front. Um, and that is that I will be doing Linux Action News again soon. As you listen to this, it'll be this Sunday slash Monday coming, so about a week from now. That is because Jupiter Broadcasting is independent again. Uh, it's no longer owned by a Cloud Guru. It's not a full-time job for me like it was before. It's just Linux Action News for now. So we'll have to see what happens, whether it grows beyond that. But... Um, at least that show is going to be back and people have said they missed it and i missed doing it so that should be cool and just to be 100 percent certain this show and the new show and two and a half admins they are just staying exactly as they were before independent shows that are not part of Troopers broadcasting that's another thing people have asked me about but yeah otherwise good news yes yeah, great good luck joe yeah thanks right let's start with a bit of news then um, this is pretty old news by now, but we missed an episode because we recorded in advance so that you could go to France and have a lovely time, Graham. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> I'm very envious. I saw your photo of the pool and everything, so yes. But anyway, that is that Mozilla have laid off 250 people, which is about a quarter of their staff. Doesn't look too good, does it? What the fuck are Mozilla doing? Mm, right. Cutting costs is what they're doing.
1: So, my suggestion is we somehow manage to cut the leadership loose from Mozilla and us four take over it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think I could find a better way to spend 400
2: to 450 million per year. Like, what are they doing with it? They're just burning it all the time.
0: That's like 600 grand per employee. Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money that um, they're spending, mm. and the, the browser is not doing too well at all. Um, but I, th- I think it does make sense. I think I am in favour of them slimming down a bit and becoming less bloated. Surely that's good.
1: I think we've been far too polite, and we have, because we've discussed it quite a lot over the last 12 months, 6 months. Um, fine, I totally agree. It's good to be slim down and agile and all that stuff, but they also need to have a razor-sharp focus on what's important, and it's the browser. And there's just no mention of the browser I have very little confidence in and what they're going to do with the future of the browser. Does this mean for example they're going to
0: switch to Blink? Well, from what I've been able to ascertain, they haven't laid off the Gecko people, people working on that. It's more of the stuff around the periphery that has gone. So, I think at least for now the browser is safe. Who knows what their future plans for layoffs are going to look like, but it doesn't look like the browser is in any immediate danger to me but they did
2: lay off the team that was working on the future rendering engine not Gecko the other one the one that's based on Rust yeah and all the Rust developers while they're at it
0: yeah and the MDN people as well which is bad for documentation mm. yeah so everything
2: that Google puts a Google dash in front of will be the de facto standard then essentially if they have their way
1: but I also think they owe us a a very clear definition of what they want to do, where they're they're taking the project. Why
0: do they owe us that, though?
1: Well, if they want our money to get us, you know, if they want to get
2: off the Google money, which is, uh, you know, a lot of cash every year. And, I mean, they've signed up now till 2023, I think, so they've renewed it. But, I mean, if they want us to invest in them, uh, surely they'll have to give us a decent idea what they're going to do with our money. Because, like, if 75 to 95% is that, it was previously provided by Google or Yahoo and it switched over for a few years. I
0: mean, that's a lot of cash to replace. It is. It's it's a ridiculous amount of money to replace, but I can't see Google pulling that money anytime soon for a couple of reasons, really. The first one is that it would not be a good look for Google to just pull that money and to basically kill Firefox and kill Mozilla but also the antitrust stuff, they're under so much pressure already with Android and everything. Yeah. For them to be essentially developing the only web rendering engine would leave them at least at risk of antitrust stuff. So I, I can't see it being a problem going forward. Like I've always thought that, yeah, they'll pull the money, but then... I thought, why would they give them reportedly like 400 million a year or whatever, maybe 450? That's over a billion dollars over the next three years. Why would they do that? And then from reading a bit about it, that's when it dawned on me that that must be why. And therefore, at least in the short to medium term, I can't see them pulling the money. So Mozilla will just keep doing what they're doing.
2: Google the company with a history of killing projects, killing a project and you think it's one
0: project too far. Okay. (laughs) Well, the thing is that you kill your own projects and that's fine, but if you kill other projects, that's when you start to get in serious shit potentially.
1: No, I I agree with you, Joe. I think part of this is that Mozilla Firefox is a proxy for Google turning around and say, look, you know, we we enable competitors to to operate in the same space. But I mean, I was just, just looking at the Mozilla... Manifesto, and the, the the first paragraph, the first large paragraph is: we are committed to an internet that includes all peoples of the earth, where a person's demographic characteristics do not determine their online access. This is the it's the browser, and when I say who are we, we're the users of that browser, we're the users of the internet. It's 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 their imperative. I think to really focus on the browser, if not the browser, at least explain their motivation, explain their their roadmap for what they're going to do with this hundreds of millions of dollars.
3: And they're a non-profit organisation, and I really struggle to understand where all of that money goes. It's an enormous amount of money. What are they doing with it? Well, if you pay everybody
0: ridiculous amounts of money, you can't Mm. have a profit problem (laughs) solved. Well, the thing is that you have to pay people ridiculous amounts of money because they have to compete with for-profit companies who will do that. If you go and work for Google or whatever, you get paid shitloads. So they can't just start paying peanuts to people because they, just, they wouldn't get anyone good, would they?
3: Uh, I don't know about that. I think there are still plenty of ideological software developers who would choose to work for Firefox or Mozilla rather than work for Google. Hmm. In fact, I know there are, and you know they're good developers. I think that they would. If Mozilla would take a stand on, for example, privacy, then I think they would attract some really
0: good talent and they wouldn't have to pay them 600 grand a year each. But they have tried to do that. Like every time we talk about it, this comes up and they have at least tried and made the right noises about the privacy stuff. And that's, that's always front and center for them. Maybe they could be doing more, granted, but it is certainly on their agenda to do that. But the thing is, like, we, we kind of talk about this, the browser, as in the desktop browser, but that's becoming less and less relevant to most people. And what really matters is mobile. And even there, it, it's not going very well, is the bottom line. They don't have any market share at all, basically. And it doesn't help that they have pushed this new update, which is they've been working on for a long time. And just look at the Google Play Store reviews for it. They are bad. People do not like it.
2: Well, I say those people should have been using f because I didn't get it yet, so it's fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what version are you actually using from
2: F-Droid? Uh, Fennec. So, yeah, it's I think it's an LTS release or something, or ESR or whatever they call it. I think it's 68 maybe. But, uh, yeah, no, it didn't ask to update yet, so... I missed
0: it. Okay, yeah, because this is seventy nine that we're talking about. Yeah, so yeah, that the sixty eight was what all the mobile users were stuck on while they worked on this new thing. But it basically has broken loads of extensions, and there's only like a few blessed extensions that will work now. Stuff that's useful, like UBlock Origin or whatever. But people who had come to rely on a bunch of extensions are very pissed off about this.
1: Yeah, and that's important. I mean, I've heard, I've, I've heard from people using the Umatrix the add-on. Um, and, well, really important add-ons that Firefox is there to support. And this happens time and time again. I use Firefox on Android, and I use the Nightly Beta. So these changes came about a while ago for me. Um, but it
0: is, it's difficult to get your head around. What's your experience been like, though, with it? Like, is it a good browser still?
1: No, I have to, honestly, I have to force myself to use it. Mm. there's more UI friction than if I use a competing browser. Um, And I do it on some stupid principle. I like stupid principles.
0: Yeah. I mean, I must admit that I've been using Chrome for a long time on Android because Firefox was just a bit shit compared to it. Mm. It's all right. And I'd often have it installed as my secondary browser. But then last time I wiped... I, I didn't even bother installing Firefox because I just didn't need it anymore, and that's—it's not a good sign, is it?
1: No, I mean the tab view is the main thing. Now it's become just this another list that you have to switch between manually. It's people who aren't used to browsers. I think I think will find that confusing, but there's all kinds of other things as well.
0: Yeah, all a bit grim then, really, <laughs> in terms of Mozilla. But at least they've got the money. So with the right organization maybe this will oh, No they've
1: had the money for a long time and I think that's that's why I'm relatively angry about it. <laughs> this has been the they've had the Google money for over a decade, I don't know. Fifteen years?
3: Yeah and the statement that Mitchell Baker put out when they announced they were making all of these redundancies. I read it a few times and and it there are a lot of words in there, but they didn't ever commit to doing anything. It was all about how things are going to change, but no facts in there. And I would have thought that if you were going to lay a lot of people off, then you would have come up with a reason to do that other than
0: cost saving. All right. Well, before we get to doom and gloomy, let's talk about something that's good news as far as I can see. And that is the Fairphone 3 Plus, which is a slightly upgraded version of last year's Fairphone 3 with better cameras and speakers. Now, you can either just buy the phone, or if you've got a Fairphone 3, you can change the camera module out and get a much better camera for your phone. This is just a revolutionary idea. I know it's been all about repairability and modularity and stuff before, but this really grabbed me when I read it. I just thought, this is, this is what phones should be like. Really? Really? <laughs>
1: Yes. You're going to get to a point, you know, in three years' time when you think, God, these photos of my children are just not quite the quality that I need. I'm going to swap out my phone and put something else, my camera and put something else in.
0: Yeah. Like, the camera (laughs) on my 3T is a bit shit. Like, especially with um, pictures of uh, stars and stuff like that, just forget about it. If I had a better camera that would work with software to give me great photos, then... I'd love to swap it out and if I only had to pay you know 50 60 70 quid for it rather than buying a whole new phone then I'd be seriously tempted to do it I mean I could maybe do that now but I'd have to take the whole thing apart but if it's designed to do that then I think that's great
1: sounds like a pain in the ass to me Hmm. I think the battery should be replaceable that's good but the camera yeah I agree I mean I
2: like the way they're trying to replace as many components with recycled bits i mean that is quite good and they're trying to source the uh precious metals and things like that from sort of more ethical regions too so i mean i think in that sort of sense i think it's better than maybe the modular part i mean i thought it was a bit daft that it was modular until you said that the camera was a bit crap and then you could swap that out and sort of thinking about that might actually be quite smart in the long run because like processor speed, memory on my phone, same as yours. Three G. I mean, I, I don't have a reason to change anything on it. um In fairness, I don't take enough photos for it to be of any use for me to even change the camera. But you know, components like that, where you maybe if the modem bit could swap
0: out as well. Yeah, upgrade to five G or whatever. Five G. Yeah, exactly. But uh yeah, it's a it's a hard sell, I think. All right, Phelim, you put this in then uh, about flight gear, your beloved flight sim. Yeah, well, it was more a case
2: of last year we picked up that this competition that has been run by DARPA, the defense research evaluation, whatever it is in the States, uh, we're using flight gear and the uh, JSB SIM, which is the engine that runs all the aerodynamics and stuff on it, was being used to uh, create a artificial intelligence program. Uh, that was going to compete against humans. And then later on, I think this year, they're going to compete against each other in various battles, fighting on red versus blue. And uh, at the time, it was just interesting to see that flight gear was being used as the lower sort of fair level open access um, interface to all this. And uh, unfortunately, now we've managed to develop an AI that has beat the human 5 nil in a, well, fairly restricted... Uh, combat approach but still yeah i think we're all screwed essentially especially with uh Katie and live now doing facial recognition they can boat all those things together <laughs> and have an open source <laughs> killing machine i for one
3: welcome our ai overload <laughs> you're
1: not going to be buying a microsoft flight simulator then Phil? i am not even though my brother has it and it looks very
0: good <laughs> i spit at him <laughs> I've heard it's amazing, but uh, yeah, I have no interest nah, in it. No, it looks terrible.
1: It does look amazing. But getting all that data on your hard drive is going to be a push, isn't it, Fadim? Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK. And they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops, from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop-class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have, and if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form-factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop-down at checkout. You can select Late Night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's really appreciated. And remember, if you support us for $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed, so check that out. If you want to learn about that, latenightlinux.com slash support, and if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And do keep an eye on the Late Night Linux Extra feed, or the all episodes if you want this show and extra, because I recorded a couple of days ago another episode with Kyle uh, where we address the feedback that everyone has been writing in. And uh, he also had a quick look at Pop! OS as well. So do check that out. That should be good. I'll put a link to the RSS feed in the show notes or just search your podcast player for Late Night Linux Extra. So one of the questions that we had in our Ask Is Anything Sensible on Patreon I've been kind of hanging on to, and I think now's the time to discuss it. This comes from Neil. He asks, are canonical standing on the shoulders of giants or building castles on the sand? And he kind of elaborated a little bit about how... Debian as having some issues, shall we say, with system D and technical disagreements there. And also obviously the political disagreements with the um, the project leader elections, where that was very much along sort of quite political lines. And also the Grome thing, which Canonical have had issues getting stuff upstreamed with Grome. And People have criticized it, let's say, technically as well, you know, single threaded and crashing takes everything down and all the rest of that. So, are these two great projects that Canonical should be basing their operating system on, or is it a bad idea?
3: I think it's exactly the role of a distro to pick the open source projects that make most sense to their goals. I think Canonical are right to pick GNOME. I think that it is a A good project to base everything on and yes there have been some relationship issues but as far as i can tell from the outside now things are progressing and they're doing well one of the difficult jobs that the distro has to do is make decisions on behalf of the user and canonical have always been very good at making decisions on behalf of the user and a lot of users will disagree with those decisions but that's fine that's what you have to do when you make a decision And I think they have almost entirely correctly made those decisions, chosen the right technologies, based their projects on the right um, underlying projects, and I think that they are standing on the shoulders of giants and waving a flag for what a distro should be.
1: I think also that um, the two aren't mutually exclusive. I think you can stand on the shoulders of giants and build castles in the sand.
0: (laughs) The giants that you're standing on the shoulders of are standing on sand, maybe. (laughs) Could it be a nuclear weapon was tested on the sand that's it's now very hard glass?
1: <laughs> I think some, some aspects of a project could be stood on the shoulder of giants, whereas others may not be. This is interesting because I've got, obviously I work at Canonical and I, I don't speak for Canonical, but I've also gone through ups and downs with Ubuntu outside of Canonical and and some of the things it's tried to do. And working No one's going to believe me, I suppose, but working inside a company does give you a particular insight into how it operates. And it is quite different to how I imagined it to be outside of the company, where I think... You often kind of depersonalize a company into like an evil corporation or something like that, and it uh, it really isn't like that i mean if only you could see the like the internal discussions that were had about replacing i r c recently for example, the commitment that employees at the company had to finding an open source solution is is incredible, and you don't see that in very many places um and Canonical is trying to do its best. I think I have faith that it has tried to. Um, I don't want this to sound like a shill piece. <laughs> um, but I, I, what I'm trying to say is things are complicated when you get inside them. And it, it may be to some people it, sounds, it looks like it's building castles in the sand and maybe it has built some of its own castles in the sand. But it is usually trying to do the right thing from an open source perspective as well. Um, and that is genuinely what I found inside the company. Um, And that's from someone who kind of was a bit cynical about Canonical and Ubuntu at certain points in the past. And it's certainly not ideal, and there's a lot that could be improved. But one more thing, I think also with open source and Linux, we have a tendency to kind of knock, maybe it's a British thing, to like knock things down that are kind of successful. And and Ubuntu has been very successful in getting Linux out there to the masses. I think the beautiful
2: thing about it is the fact that Debian can be this chaotic or seemingly chaotic system of a meritocracy but with very opinionated people doing it and then you can still choose something different like whereas you know debian is only kind of using systemd but kind of and not uh canonical can sit on top of that and say yeah well, we're obviously going to use systemd fully and you know you can pick and choose things like that it doesn't have to mean that the whole underlying um, foundation of it is broken they can have almost separate bits to each other and that's uh, it's kind of nice the way that
0: works yeah and if things don't work out with GNOME then they could pivot to MATE or Plasma or whatever if you look at how quickly your team it was under your management well the big change happened from Unity to GNOME and that went very very smoothly because it was a very good team working on that and so i would imagine that especially under Wimpress's stewardship should they want to move to mate it would be possible to do that or or potentially something else and that's if the the problems with gnome escalate and it becomes a big issue which i don't think it will because they seem to have a reasonably good relationship so i'm not sure about that and as for debian i think i do agree with you fadelin that um they are kind of just ignoring the chaos and taking debian but i mean the direction that ubuntu is going in and linux generally which is like system d and snaps essentially does it really matter what the underlying distro is they could i mean it would be a lot of work it'd be a monster undertaking to move to another base and I, I don't know what that would be, whether that would be, well, would be unlikely to be Red Hat based, wouldn't it? So like maybe Arch or something like that. I don't know, I, but I have enough faith in the company to hire the right engineers to make it happen.
2: But uh, we can't even think of them as separate projects in a certain respect. And the fact that Ubuntu feeds so many things back upstream as well. So it, it's almost a a self-healing reciprocal sort of engine that, Fixes
0: itself. Uh, That's a terrible analogy, but there you go. Well, that's the thing. A lot of the Debian developers are also Ubuntu developers, so yeah, there is a symbiotic relationship there. But I just I don't think that it's even going to be an issue. I mean, just like the ridiculous idea of moving to an Arch base or SUSE or whatever it is, I don't think that will ever be needed because the problems that Debian has may be quite serious, but I don't think they're terminal.
3: And regardless of what the outcome of those debian decisions are if you're an ubuntu user you'll be completely shielded from all of that turmoil and you know unless you're interested in finding out what's going on you will never even be aware of it and that's i think that's fine that's a perfectly good solution yeah
2: i think you're right Uh, i don't think you need to get your hopes up though i don't think they're switching to xfc anytime soon joe especially not from what kyle said last week
0: (laughs) (laughs) dare to dream Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co/lnl, and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use a distro like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS or FreeBSD or you can even upload your own custom image. Or you can use their one-click apps like Basic Lamp and Lamp Stacks, WordPress, Discourse, or GitLab. I've been using DigitalOcean for years now, and in that time, they've added tons of new features. Things like managed databases and Kubernetes, object storage, and recently, virtual private cloud, which allows you to create multiple private networks for your account or team. The droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but you can scale them all the way up to 192 gigabytes of RAM with 32 CPU cores and 12 terabytes of storage. But you can add block storage or object storage as you need it. And if you need particularly high amounts of RAM or CPU, they have droplets optimized for that too. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, let's do a quick KDE corner then before we get out of here. Um, the first one is that KDE Neon has been rebased on Ubuntu 2004. Yes, it has. And I have not even dared touch my workstation because that is a
2: Franken install from Kubuntu <laughs> from 2013 that has progressed to KDE Neon and has encrypted home folders, which are no longer supported as of even the last release. So. At what point do you just back up and wipe and start again? It's possibly going to happen this weekend. I just did not have yeah. the time prior to this show, but I did it on my laptop. So my laptop is clean install from uh, the the last release, and I did an upgrade of it. Completely flawless, and to be quite honest, I didn't even notice the difference. Like, it is that good, because you already have uh, the hardware extended support kernels and graphics drivers. And you've already got, like, a latest Firefox, and then you've already got up-to-date KDE. So to be quite honest, I really didn't notice i mean that sounds terrible it means that like it was not worth them doing it i'm sure it was obviously worth them doing it but there was no crashes no bugs no anything like that so it was a really good really good upgrade
0: no that's what you should have you shouldn't notice that's a good experience as far as i'm concerned if you were happy with it before then yeah you should notice and like you said it's the same plasma the same yeah. kd applications that's the beauty of kd neon so yeah good stuff graham did you update to it
1: no, I'm, it's funny because I'm in exactly the same boat as Phelan. Yeah. I had a Kubuntu a install from, if it was 2013, then that's when it was. And I, yeah. I s- switched over to the neon repositories and haven't look back although it breaks
2: yeah it's like i think i think it'll be a really quick upgrade and now i'm thinking mm, yeah. i've installed quite a lot of stuff now do i troll back through all my apt history dot log files and i try and find out what i actually installed myself what came part of it and it's like oh
1: man i don't want to do that i usually close down x everything get right back down to the terminal and then yeah. whenever it says there's a conflict i go yep get rid of it <laughs> <laughs> wipe and be damned yeah. but it comes back
0: well, we've also had the 2008 app updates, including Caden Live, which we talked about a few shows ago.
2: Yeah. And there's a great, there's a great update that we should link to a webpage there with all the stuff and the features. And I th- I, mean, I think it looks really professional the way they're doing it. Like you can see that they're trying to shift in the right direction. And as far as I've read from the, um, some of the posts that they've made, their next big thing is to try and work on the MLT backend. Um, but there's a lot of work involved in that. So that's not something they're going to do lightly because that's the bit that does all the video encoding and syncing and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I think they've made a massive effort on the the UI design on this, and it looks really good. Um, obviously, I'm judging this from a complete layperson's perspective, but uh, it, to me, it looks like they've separated into various different, you know, like the color space, the audio side of things, and then the video clips, etc.
0: And there's a Plasma Mobile update then.
2: Yeah, um, as I say, there hasn't been a, and much of an update in the last few months from Plasma Mobile, which, you know, if I had a Pine phone, I'd, I'd try out, but I don't. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I'll send it one day.
2: Subtle dig. Um, uh-huh. but they have an update on some of the apps that are coming out. And, uh, once, well, as of now, 520 is released. Um, they're, these are going to be coming out very soon. So you've got things like, uh, clock application, the weather. Um, there's a calculator app and the browser has had loads of improvements to it. And there's a, a sort of a contrast checker and things like that. And uh, some awful looking game, which I, people play games on phones. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good to see because, you know, the more apps, the more varied the types of applications coming out, It you know, builds a good ecosystem. And, you know, we might one day have a phone that we can reliably get an open source fully Linux desktop on there. Um obviously Ubiports does a really good job as well. Um but I think it's nice to have a, a bit of competition in that respect. And um yeah, that's starting to look really nice.
0: I wish I could try it. <laughs> well, I've just looked and my local post offices are only open in the middle of the night. Ten AM till two PM. That's like That's perfect. How am I possibly gonna get there if it closes at two o'clock? I don't even wake up till then. Uh, come winter you know all the the nice cool morning air
2: i mean that'll keep covid right down you'll be able to get in there and be safe yeah yeah it's a great idea
0: all right quick mention for a linux spotlight episode with nate graham of kde who we uh quite often link to um that's the show with Rocco that I was on before I haven't actually watched or listened to this yet
2: yeah I've watched half an hour of that epic two hour extravaganza Um, I I didn't manage to get any further yet, I will but I was in a field uh, camping for a few days so I was trying to conserve battery
0: yeah well we'll link to that anyway yeah it's very good right well we better get out of here then we'll be back in two weeks and do check out Late Night Linux Extra in the meantime but until then I've been Joe I've been Phelan I've been Graham. And I've been well. See you later.